Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Sound the battle cry. Two men, 15 minutes, eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. For the Lord, gird your armor on, stand firm, everyone. Hey there, Edwin. Hey, Andrew. Wow, Friday. Black Friday. Black Friday. Everybody keep your eyes peeled when you're driving around. We don't want any fender benders. Be don't, safe. Don't get distracted. Don't be distracted, even though I'm sure the deals are mind-blowing. They're probably <laughs> mind-blowing? Probably. I don't know. Absolutely. Let's wrap up Matthew 12, though. That sounds good. That's that's the best deal for today. The best deal for today. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 50. Cracking you up, huh? <laughs> you really are. You really are. <laughs> Matthew twelve forty three through 50. I'll read from the English Standard Version. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is a curious thing to me, um, this first paragraph you read, verses 43 through 45. Uh, just thinking about the idea of a of a person who, we'll say, has the deliverance of the Spirit, right? An unclean spirit is cast out of him. And so it, it seems that things are better. They are repaired. You know, the house is in order. But the Spirit returns, and now he has seven more with him. If you, well, I mean, is I guess I see a couple of things going on there. Um, one, I, it makes me wonder about the potential of being attacked again in this way. But I think I also see a lesson here about the idea of returning to sin and returning to wickedness, that uh, you know, you, you make those efforts at repentance and doing things right, but when you fall back and when you go back to it, I mean, it just compounds. It's so much worse than, than it was initially. I think there's individual application here, but notice that Jesus' application is actually with this evil generation. Okay, okay. He had said back up in, what, verse 33, 34, talking about the evil generation. They were wanting signs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, back in verse 39. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Now he comes back to talking about this evil generation, generation. again. I do think there's application that we need to think about for ourselves, that if I'm, if I'm going to clean up my spirit, if I'm going to cleanse out the evil, but if I don't replace it with something, the yeah. evil is just going to come back. Yeah. I think we can make that point individually. I do think, however, Jesus' point here is actually about that generation, that he's there to uh, to call, just like John was, to right, call to right. repentance, to bring them so that the kingdom of God can, can be among them and in their midst, and they can be a part of that. And there was some reaction. Jesus was having some people who were following him, but of yeah. course... As we watch what happens, even though there's some popularity and even though there's a following, by the time it's done, uh, they're worse than they ever were. And they, the, the entire generation stands out crying, crucify him, crucify yeah. him. Yeah. And then yeah. ultimately, of course, as far as Israel is concerned, 
there's going to be the judgment that comes upon them because they don't get better. Yeah. You know, for for even though there was this moment, this this moment of light as people were starting to listen to Jesus and starting mm-hmm, to repent, mm-hmm. and there were they were, Jesus was having success, baptizing more people than John was, and all yeah. of that was going on, and the Pharisees were getting jealous so much so that they had to get rid of him. By the time it's all done, this generation actually ends up in a really really bad place. Yeah. And it's yeah. worse than it started. And he's saying this is the way it's going to be with you guys and mm. the only sign you're going to get is sign of Jonah, sign of Jonah. three days and three nights in the earth uh, you know are you going to mm-hmm. repent after that or are you not mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the question here and then we get to this final paragraph was there more about that well, before I was going to say yeah I was going to move on I guess going from this idea of generation the wicked generation to family matters yeah and it's a kind of a curious thing we really haven't talked about his family uh, of Jesus since what the second chapter, you know, the flight to Egypt and the return, and now we have a mother, Mary. We have brothers, huh? That's interesting. Uh, and then mother and what? brothers have come to to find him. I know you want to say, so I'm just going to throw you the softball. Why is that interesting, Andrew? Well, you know, there's an idea among some folks, and I think even Catholic dogma, that Mary is a perpetual virgin. But what we see in the scriptures is that while we're told that she was a virgin until uh, the delivery of her first son, Jesus, she was a wife, man and wife, to Joseph. And the Lord blessed that union with brothers. Yeah. And while they're not all listed and named in this text, we're told here you know, that Jesus had brothers. And so he is the oldest of a family. He's got siblings. We know knowing the rest of Scripture, that at least two of them actually write letters. Yeah. Uh, one of them goes on to be a, a strong leader in the Jerusalem church, yeah, James, James. James the Just. And then we've got Jude, mm-hmm. who writes the book of Jude. These yeah. are two brothers, biological half-brothers half right. of Jesus. So we're talking about family. The biological family has come at this time because they want to pull Jesus away. They want to bring him home. We don't actually learn in Matthew why, but in Mark, they thought Jesus was out of his mind. Mm. And they they were buying a little bit of the counter narrative. They weren't they weren't grasping what was going on. And I think it's probably that idea of a prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, kind of taken to the extreme. I mean, I know if my brother started going around talking about how he was the Messiah, that's what I would think of him. I would think, no, you're nuts. I grew up with you. Well, I mean, kind of. My brother's a lot younger than me, but still, I'd say, I, you know, I saw you grow up. You're, you know, whatever. And I think that's mm. what's what's happening here. They think that he's. Getting too big for his britches. He's out of his mind. He's having delusions of grandeur. That is one of, I think, the powerful apologetics uh, lessons to take, is how do you look at a James, who we have listed here in the Gospels as one trying to kind of drag Jesus home, say, hey, you know, quiet down, you're upsetting people, you're you're nuts, <laughs> and and yet here he is, after the resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus, as you mentioned a moment ago, being one of the pillars in the church at Jerusalem, being a writer of Scripture in the book of James, you know, how do you account for that conversion? Well, James had to do what all of us have to do. He ultimately realized, I've got to make a choice. Mm-hmm. I don't get to dismiss this fellow, even though he's my brother. I don't get to dismiss him, even though we were kids together. I'm seeing what he's done. I've, I've recognized something has happened 
and I think that this really gets back down to the resurrection. Mm-hmm. He saw the sign. Yeah. And when he saw the sign, the three days and nights in the earth, it actually impacted him, and it brought about repentance. It brought about faith. It brought about salvation and obedience and allegiance and submission. So that even when he writes his letter, he doesn't say, James, the brother of Jesus. He calls himself the servant mm-hmm. of Jesus. Wow, that is so powerful. That's so amazing that he does that. So looking back here in Matthew, we got some of that uh, backstory from Mark and other Gospels about maybe the motivation of the family, why they're coming around. But it's interesting to me, they can't they can't get to Jesus. There's too many people around there. He's too popular. And so it's like word comes into him, hey, guess who's outside? It's your mother. It's your brothers. They need to have a word with you. He, he's preaching. He's teaching. There's all these people. So how's he going to react to that? And I got to tell you, I think this surprises everybody surprises me he's not going to take a time out to go talk to his family he's like we'll bring him in here let him sit close to me (laughs) no it's a different kind of teachable moment isn't it and he he tries to point out who the real family is Mm -hmm. who is my real family my real family is not the biological blood lineage family my real family, and he points at his disciples, is whoever is going to obey my real father. Mm-hmm. Which actually brings up just a quick side point. Notice that the biological, the adopted father, not adopted. biological father here, but the adoptive father is not in the picture, which causes a lot of people yeah. to think at this point, maybe Joseph has, has died. Maybe Joseph had already and died. And yeah. Mary is a widow. It certainly mm-hmm. seems to be the case when we get to the resurrection because Jesus puts Mary into the care of the disciple, John. Correct. And, which suggests to us that Mary needed someone to care for her because yeah. her husband was gone. And Mary was following around, regardless of when maybe James and Jude come around, Mary is a disciple at that point. She Seems was like convinced. She's yeah. following around. She's Absolutely. following. So the mother, the brothers are trying to get him. We know from Mark that it's because they actually think he's out of his mind. Jesus drops this bomb. Here's who my real family is. Now for us today, we are so individualistic. We see so, you know, so many families get split up just geographically. Yeah, that's true. And then even just relationally that this statement kind of comes, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a shock. But for us, it can kind of become this kind of quaint thing. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right. In the church, we're supposed to be like a family. And Jesus is teaching this really neat, quaint idea that we're all a family. When Jesus said this, this was revolutionary. Mm. Keep in mind that as far as the Jews were concerned, they were all one big family. Well, yeah. They were all blood lineage descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob. And what made them a part of God's kingdom was the fact that they were blood relatives, Mm -hmm. the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. And so for them, this idea of family, of tribe, of community was a really, really big deal. The absolute fundamental principle of their identity was... I'm a part of this biological family. Right, right, right. My my mom was a part of this biological family. My dad was a part of this biological family. My grandma and my grandpa mm-hmm. and my great-grandma and my great-grandpa yeah. and blah, 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 all the way on, all the way up to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what Jesus says is, I want you to understand how my kingdom works. Mm-hmm. My kingdom doesn't work based on blood. My kingdom doesn't work based on biology. My kingdom doesn't work based on descent from a human father. My kingdom works on submission to my heavenly 
Father. Mm. And everyone who submits to my Heavenly Father is a part of my family and my kingdom. And that is so beautiful. He's throwing open the doors of the kingdom in this respect to say that anyone can come in and be part of it if they will hear, if they will heed. And so the disciples then are mother and brothers. The disciples then are family. And I think that's so powerful that when we become Christians, when we become disciples of Jesus Christ, we're becoming brothers. We're becoming family with God. We have a song that we sing, or at least I sang growing up uh, as a young Christian, even before that, whosoever will surely meaneth me. Mm. And I think that's the point here. When Jesus says whoever, mm. he does not mean whoever among the Jews that no. obeys my Father in heaven. He means whoever. Whoever. This is a fundamental shift in the nature of God's kingdom. And it wasn't become a proselyte. It wasn't mm-hmm. submit yourself to the laws of Moses. It's submit yourself to the will of my Father who is in heaven. And it's it's the idea of when can I really claim God as Father? I understand that God is Father in the sense of being creator, and every human that's ever lived all over the planet in that sense can declare God as their Father. He is the source of their life. He is the progenitor. But Jesus here is now talking about a true family relationship. He's really my Father when I do what he says. And there has been some echoes of this through time. As Jesus pointed out, the good example was Nineveh and how Nineveh you know, responded to Jonah, Gentiles. The good example was the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, who appreciated the wisdom of Solomon, the Gentile lady, right? And so now it's whoever. Whoever. Yeah. He says, look, if your father is the same as my father, we're family. Mm. And here's how I know when your father is the same as mine, when we're both doing what he says. Yeah. And that's what we need to do this weekend. Absolutely. Which means on Sunday, we're going to get together and worship God. Yeah, if you're in the Tampa area, we want you to come out and worship with us. We would love that. We're directing people to the website, christiansmeethere.org, for all of the contact and assembly time information. Check that out, christiansmeethere.org, and we'd love to see you on the Lord's Day. Let's have a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, thank you for this day, this time to be together. Thank you for this week uh, when we've been blessed with family reunion, family time, and to give some consideration to the wonderful things that you bring to us. You are the giver of good gifts, of every good gift. It comes from your hand, and we are humble, and we are grateful, and we want to recognize you for those good things. Among them, Father, is your word and your written revelation. Help us, Father, to appreciate that Jesus is Lord, and in loving him and obeying him, we can be a part of your family. In fact, whoever would have him, when we can be a part of your family, thank you for your family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians who meet on Livingston Avenue in Lutz, Florida, this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Text Talk in your favorite podcast app so others can find it and learn about it more easily. Have a fantastic day. Steady, steady, pass the word along. 
Onward, forward, shout aloud, Hosanna! Christ is captain of the mighty throne.